You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. To honor all copyright restrictions, certain elements have been edited out of this message. And now, here's Pastor Clay. Our scripture this morning comes to us from two different places. First, in the book of 2 Chronicles, in chapter um, 7, verses 12 through 14, and then from Nehemiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. 2 Chronicles 7 tells us this. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. And then from Nehemiah, after life is very different, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Now on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. Then those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their ancestors. They stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a fourth part of the day. And for another fourth, they made their confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I was a part of a really, really good study group when I was back at the University of Sioux Falls. And the cool thing about our group was that we were not all theology majors. We weren't even of the same like grade or year in college. But what we found out is that we were comfortable enough with one another to just sit in silence together and do work. I have some friends from college that I could sit with for hours and hours and hours and get nothing done because we would just be talking the entire time, but then I had this group where we could really get work done together as a group. One of our members of our group was a woman named Sam, and Sam was taking a class called Hebrews to Revelation with Dr. Brian Gregg, and on the night before one of her exams, she was studying, you know, with the group. And as we were sitting there in our comfortable silence, Sam slams her laptop shut and says, You have got to be kidding me! And then we waited a couple seconds, and and then she explained. At 9.30, the night before an exam, in Hebrews to Revelation, Dr. Gregg sent an email to the class saying that he forgot to tell them about one of the essay questions that would be on the next morning's exam. Sam was mad. 9.30 at night, the day before the exam. And so after the appropriate amount of yelling, Sam went back to her dorm room to get her resources, and she came back to our study group, not just with resources, but with a plan. Sam's plan was the next morning to have her laptop in her 
hands, because this was before Bluetooth speakers, and she planned on having the music on her laptop cued to 2007's bop, uh, Apologize, by Timberland, which says it's too late to apologize, it's too late. And since it's been stuck in my head all week, I have a snippet of it to play for you this morning as well. It's too late to apologize, it's too late. I want you to know that Sam went through with her plan and walked into the exam room with that ready to go. I was not in that class. I did not take that class at USF. But what I found out is that Dr. Greg couldn't stop laughing because he knew he messed up. He apologized to his class one more time and then gave the exam extra question and all. 9.30 9.30 at night may have been too late to apologize for, you know, <laughs> Hebrews to Revelation, but it's never too late to apologize in the eyes of God. As we continue our message series this morning, which is based on the basics of our faith, we are going to talk about confession. And I know that, especially in a religious context, I know that that word comes with some baggage. And typically, as we think about our own faith backgrounds, it may just mean one thing. You may hear the word confession and think of a little room with a wooden screen and uh, absolving our sins with acts of contrition. And which, by the way, I, don't, I want us to, to, to understand that that's not a bad or a wrong way to think about confession. But that isn't the only way to think about confession when it comes to our faith. And I think that our Roman Catholic friends find that to be a basic and a helpful part of their faith tradition, even if that particular definition of confession isn't a part of our faith. Like, confession is still a part of our faith tradition. We're going to dig into that. But it means more than one thing. In her book, Sacred Rhythms, Ruth Haley Barton defines confession in this way. She says that confession requires us to say our failure out loud to ourselves and to God and to the person or persons that we have hurt and to take steps to renounce it for Christ's sake. Literally, for Christ's sake. But even with that definition at hand, even as we talk about this, you might be asking yourself, why is confession so basic in our faith that it deserves to be a part of this particular message series. We started out with the last couple of weeks, we started out by talking about prayer and scripture, and those feel obvious enough, but why confession? Why confession and not faith sharing? Why confession and not worship attendance? Why confession and not communion or baptism or any of the other things that we do together as the family of God? What we have come to understand through the centuries is that these are all things that we do as disciples of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing wrong with any of them and all of them are important. But confession just has this level of biblical truth behind it. Confession just has this dimension of instruction behind it. And confession is something that we don't always understand, and so we don't always do, but it is important. As we think about our testimony of Scripture, as we think about the things we read this morning, we read from two places in Scripture and find Israel in two very different places. 
In 2 Chronicles, Solomon and the nation of Israel have just completed construction on the temple. After years of wandering in the desert, after years of living in the land and having this mobile worship tabernacle, they now have a place. They are grounded. They belong. They belong in the temple. And in thanksgiving to God and as an act of dedication of the temple, Solomon prays. And in response to his prayer, Solomon is given a vision. God shows up for Solomon and says to Solomon and to the people of God, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of of sacrifice. The nation of Israel built the temple and God is pleased with the temple. And then goes on to say that God will continue to be with the people as they do everything they're supposed to do, which because of this temple is to pray and to make sacrifices and continue to seek God's face. But as we might know from Scripture, as we might know from, from Israel's history, God's people did not do what God had intended. The entire story of Israel's history is a story of ebbing, ebbing and flowing faithfulness. The entire story of Israel's history is a story of seasons of deep faith and commitment to God and seasons of wandering further and further and further away from God and the hope and the promise that should have been their national identity. Despite God's call and despite God's command for the Israel to be a distinct nation from those around them as a testimony to God, Israel rebels and they forgot and they forsook that covenant that God had made time and time and time again to the point that the exile happens. They're removed from their land, they're removed from this temple that they were so proud of, that God chose as a place to dwell. But what I find so interesting is that God didn't abandon the Israelites even then. And exile wasn't forever. After a generation, the people of God are restored to their land, and eventually the king's cupbearer, a very important person in the people that ruled over Israel, a man named Nehemiah, asks for permission to go and rebuild Jerusalem, to go and help rebuild the walls that had fallen and the temple that had fallen. And all of a sudden, as Nehemiah begins this work, as the people of God rally around, all of a sudden their religious flame is reignited. And they start to understand the depth of their mistakes. They start to realize exactly how badly they messed up. The priests and the Levites, under the direction of a man named Ezra, begin reading the law and reinstating the festivals and restoring sacrifices. And eventually the people of God realize how far they wandered. But more than that, they start to see the hope of a path forward. This is why they had gathered in our word from Nehemiah. In Scripture, they had gathered to confess their sin, 
they had gathered to name their failure out loud to themselves and to God and to the people that they had wronged. They had come to talk about how disobedient to God's word and God's ways they have been. They came to confess. They came wearing sackcloth and ashes and with earth on their heads. And fasting and sackcloth and ashes are all signs of anguish and remorse and mourning. And the people of God confessed. They confessed not only their own shortcomings and sins, they confessed the shortcomings and sins of their ancestors. And from that gathering, they left with a resolve to follow God's instructions in a way that they have not felt or expressed in a long time. Our reading from Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 3 actually extends all the way to Nehemiah chapter 10 verse 39. At the very end, the people of God say, we will not neglect the house of God. And they once again became a nation a nation that was dedicated to prayer, to sacrifice, and to seeking the face of God. In confessing their sins and the sins of their ancestors, God gave Israel a chance to try again. Even after everything that they'd endured, everything that they had been through, the destruction of the temple, the falling of Jerusalem, everything, Israel is offered an opportunity to try again. To knock the dust off of themselves, to knock the earth off of their heads. To rededicate themselves to God's ways and to try again. And is this not just the perfect picture of the grace of God extended to you and to me? Is this not grace? The power of confession is that confession is the starting point of grace. Confession is where grace can be known and healing can start. When we bring ourselves as holy and earnestly to God as the Israelites did, we can experience and discover the same grace and the same healing. And that's important because the reality of our lives is that we fall short of God's intentions for us. The reality of our lives is that we have done harm through the things that we have done and things that we have said, the things we have left undone, and the things we have left unsaid. And despite what the world around us can try and tell us, it is okay for us to confess, to name our wrongdoing before ourselves and before God and in the midst of other people, and to do that without reservation, to do that without excuse, to do that without justification. Because this is the beginning of healing. And this is the beginning of grace. Confession is important because confession clears the air. And confession restores trust. And confession enables us to move forward. Israel did not sit in sackcloth and ash forever. 
Dr. Greg didn't sit in the shame of his mistake about that test forever. I'm sure if I asked Dr. Greg today, he wouldn't remember that until I played the song. When we mess up, when we fall short, we don't stay there forever. I don't know if you're like me, and I really hope that you're not, but when I do something wrong and stand in that need to be a confessor, I can get real comfortable in sackcloth and ash. I can get real sure and really convince myself that this sin is the sin that God cannot forgive. And if you're like me, and I hope to God you're not, let me just tell you this. This is not who God is. This is not how God works. God does not want us to be in a state of perpetual mourning over our failures. God gives us a way forward, and it starts with confession. Friends, we are called to confess to ourselves, to God, and to one another, to make right what we can, to experience grace, and try again. As a way of praying us out of the message today, there is a prayer of confession that we're going to use. It's going to be on the screen for you in a second. Let us pray together, and then I'll give us some words of absolution. Let us pray. Together we pray. We confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we have created to be, what we have committed ourselves to be, disciples of your kingdom. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in the places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's traffic and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turn. In this time of worship, may we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be your peacemakers here and now. Let's continue for a moment of silence. O friend in Christ, you have been forgiven by the unfailing mercy of Christ Jesus, your Savior. Go as beloved children of God to love and serve the Lord and all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.